Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. It is neck and neck at the top of Group C in the Nations League as France and Portugal share the points from a draw at the Stade de France. The world champions couldn't find the net against the European champions. Ouch, it still hurts to call them that way. Deschamps' best 11 is still trying to make things click before the Euro next summer, uh, where they will again be in the same group as Cristiano Ronaldo. The good news, though, is that the B team is quite solid, having put seven goals past Ukraine last Wednesday. So we'll have a lot of love for Giroud and Kamavinga, who celebrated big milestones in that match. And we'll look forward to the third match from this very long international break, uh, this Wednesday against Croatia again. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Jo joining me on the show today, I have Eric Devin. Hey, Pierre-Paul, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I said your name right this week. Exactly. <laughs> uh, also with us, uh, Jeremy Smith. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, fine. How are you? Good. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Are you watching the uh, U21s? I think they're playing right now, right? Yeah, they are. I've missed the first 10 minutes. I'm just cheekily trying to get it up as we speak. <laughs> okay. You can keep us posted at the end. Okay. Um, and also with us today is Adrien Drill. Hi, hi guys. Hi, Purple. Great to have you on, Adrien. Oh. Um, you've yes. been writing the uh, the uh, Road to Euro 21 series for the Get French Football News website. Um, exactly. How much football are you watching to keep up with all the players who could potentially be in the French team? Uh, well, I'm I'm no, I'm I'm not watching every single uh, French player game, but I'm <laughs> trying to <laughs> to watch. As much uh, as I can, but um, well, yes, it takes a uh, takes a lot of time to watch uh, many games. But yeah, I can I can cope with it. But my girlfriend is not really happy, you know. But well, <laughs> get French football news first, I guess. Wow. Okay. I hope she's not listening to this podcast then, even though uh, we appreciate yeah. any and all listeners <laughs> joining us. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who has, uh, you know, in the first, I think, eight episodes so far, which have been the kind of standout names or, or repeated players who, who have impressed you? Um, oh, that's a good question, because, uh, well, one, uh, I'm, I'm still uh, looking for a name right now, uh, which player I think, uh, well, there's a player I was uh, I was afraid that people uh, might think I didn't like it was um, Musa Dembele because I he was a lot in the flop section and um, <laughs> because every single game I, I watched from from him he was not great um, but a standout name well I think well Eduardo Camavinga obviously uh, he, he appeared in maybe two I mean two episodes ago but he's it was really impressive. I was really impressed. Yeah, and we'll have more on him later in this show for sure. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, uh, let's get started with the uh, match on Sunday evening against Portugal, which ended in a nil-nil uh, draw. Some will say not the most exciting match. Uh, but but before we get into that kind of debate, um, Jeremy, would you say that uh, the lineup that Deschamps uh, selected against Portugal is, is that the best eleven? In other words, you know, if the Euro were to happen this week, that's the team that's starting the first match. 
Um, I think that may well be his thinking. Um, personally, I, I probably, I mean, if we're, if we're not talking entirely about current form, um, I think, you know, certainly Griezmann is kind of, I think Deschamps hoping that he's going to help play him into, into good form. But I think, yeah, probably that's his current starting eleven. I think maybe Kimpembe was like a sort of final test. Had it gone badly, maybe Longley would have would have sort of overtaken him again. But he had such a good game. I think he's probably made that that position his for the moment. I think I personally, I I would still maybe lean towards Tolisso ahead of ahead of Rabiot, but I don't think there's that much in it. Um, so yeah, I think it could well be. Obviously, a lot depends on on the formation that he he'll go with in the end and how how things go during the season. I wouldn't be surprised if if by the time we get to the Euros, Kamavinga may well be um, a starter. But I think that's certainly his thinking for now. And Eric, how do you think? Uh, well, I mean, let's talk about the game. How do you think that eleven worked out uh, against Portugal? I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but I think that that that, that idea of uh, of Griezmann beha- playing behind a front two, I think it, it just doesn't work. Um, there's a comment from Alain Gires, uh, you know, f- formerly part of the uh, Car Car Magique, is it was it's called, right? Yeah. Uh, in the key today, talking about how Griezmann's not a not a ten, and he's not a ten. Um, you know, I think in, especially if you're playing in this midfield that. You know, Pogba was kind of off the boil. Rabio, you know, I, I agree. He, he had a decent match, but he's not really a creative influence. If you don't have an Aouar, if you don't have a Camavinga, or a Jonathan Akone even, if you don't have the sort of player who can advance with the ball at the pitch and uh, allow Griezmann, that is, the 10 to play closer to the strikers, then then what then what you have is what you're left with is what, you, what we saw uh, yesterday evening. I mean, Mbappe was... You know, trying to work on the wing and take on three people. Uh, Griezmann was dropping deep. Um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't really any uh, any width on the right side. You know, Pavar didn't really get forward that much. Um, so yeah, again, I I think that I understand the idea with this. My understanding of what Deschamps is attempting to do with this formation is to get Griezmann or to get sorry Mbappe closer to goal. Um, you know, by playing him as as an out and out striker rather than on the flank. But it's just not working. There's not with Griezmann in that role. He he's not. He's a, a lovely footballer um, on his day. We we know that. But I think that you know between how he's being you know quote unquote misused for both for Barcelona uh, and for his country, I think it's it's you know it might start be starting to take a toll on him in terms of his his ability to play well. I mean you know I think it's been kind of a while since we've you said oh wow Griezmann ha- Griezmann had a really standout match so. I think this is, you know, going down that same road and it's it's tough. It's frustrating. But I think, I mean, like you say, Griezmann is not a pure number 10, but it's it's always a bit complicated with him because he's, he's not a pure winger either, nor is he a pure striker or, or number nine. And it the way it's set up is kind of meant to be for Griezmann to be free and, and you know, do whatever Griezmann does and, and have the rest of the team built around him. Now the problem is that with um, doing it like that with Mbappe and, and Giroud in front of him, there seems to be a disconnect between you know the midfield and and the front three. And there's, um, I think the point you make, you know, Griezmann's not a number ten, but 
it, with this kind of formation, you kind of need a number 10 um, to be, to be, you know, connecting these, uh, those two lines. And we'll talk maybe, uh, we'll talk, well, when we go to get to the Ukraine match about how Usama Awar uh, maybe did some of that stuff. Um, Adrien, let me bring you in here as well. Uh, what do you think of, of, you know, setting up the team around Griezmann and, and his positioning? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think um, the the problem with uh, obviously Griezmann is that um, because uh, Deschamps is building the team around him, and it it has been uh, since the Euros uh, 2016, when against Ireland, I think he he really realized that he had to build uh, the team around Griezmann, and the the fact is, uh, France are uh, entirely relying on his uh, on his shape and on, on on the way he plays and so when he's not in a good uh, in a good mood for playing football and when i mean he's having a complicated season at at barcelona and and so he's not really confident and he's he's doubting and i think all the the problem is that so all the team uh, plays slowly when he's not in, in, in great form. So I think that's the the drawback of relying entirely on on, on one playmaker like, like Griezmann. And uh, and as you said, um I think he's not a pure number ten, but I think his best uh, position is is when he's like an as we say in France, uh, a nine and a half, you know, he's not he can uh he's roaming around Giroud, for example, and and yes, so I think uh, relying too much on Griezmann is can be dangerous for France. So I I think I kind of half agree with with the two of you and with Alain Gires, but also to a point, I just I mean I should I guess watch all the matches again, but certainly my recollection of the World Cup and the knockout stages in particular, I think. Griezmann, for me, completely controlled those matches. And I don't think you can control a match from nine and a half. Maybe maybe I'll give him nine and three-quarter position. But I think he was dropping deeper than just a central striker would. And he was controlling the matches from there. So I I do think he has the capability to be a 10. Um, And I think that what Deschamps is doing, I don't think this is necessarily going to be the formation that he'll start the Euro in. And I think, you know, you you can argue about whether it's right that he should be sort of trying to fit a formation just for one particular player. But um, I think, but I do think that this experimenting with the 5-3-2 or the 5-2-5-3-1-2 or the uh, 4-4-2 diamond, whatever you want to call it, I do think it is to try to find what works best for Griezmann. But I think it's, in a way, I feel it's a little bit of a disservice just to say that he's a central striker because I think he can do more than that. Maybe the problem is that he's not an out-and-out number 10 either. Um, but for me, the, the problem yesterday wasn't so much him. I think it was the three midfielders behind him who, I don't know if it was sort of lack of understanding for the moment or uh, not understanding, you know, automatism or lack of instruction about who was supposed to stick and who was supposed to go. But... I think the the problem was was those three. I think they they all played well enough. I didn't think Conte was that good actually. I thought Pogba and Rabiot played well enough, 
but they all sort of played in in a line and so I thought there was actually an all too deep so I thought it wasn't so much a problem of Griezmann's placement but maybe it was sort of a three and a one there rather than a little bit more depth or variation between all of them um and I you know like you said we'll get on to Owa and I certainly am not so as keen as others but Pogba as well I think is capable of pushing forwards again not to a 10 but he doesn't need to sit as deep as he did yesterday I don't think and in the second half I think he pushed pushed forward more I think that there is scope to still work with that formation and possibly still have Griezmann as that point of the diamond. I just think the whoever the midfield four are, they they need a lot more work between that between themselves to to kind of work out what role whose role is what or what role is whose, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I I just wanted to to come out on that as, as well. I, I I had the same exact thought that they were looking very flat as a three. Um, but then I kind of wonder, well, you know, the other other thing that we had, I think, that we saw in the World Cup run is that the left-sided midfielder in that three in the World Cup was Matuidi, who can stretch play a little bit in terms of making the pitch wider. He, he was, you know, kind of between a winger and a central midfielder in that situation. And I kind of wonder, you know, if France can get a little bit more width from that midfield, um, that could be a positive as well. Because I don't really think that there's... None of the players, I think, were really doing that tactically. I mean, Rabiot, I think, got forward a little bit more as the match wore on. Um, but I think, if you're, especially if you're playing against Portugal, who are lining up with a 4-3-3, and you know, if William Carvalho and Daniel Pereira are two of your midfield three for Portugal, they're clearly not say, setting themselves out to... Win the match. Win the match. Um, so you know why not? You know why are you playing with three? You know, I mean, I know, I know Pogba can get four, but you know why not liven that midfield up? Why not bring on a Camavinga? Why not bring on an Awar? Um, why not bring on a Taliso and say the changes that Deschamps did make? Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree that I don't agree with the. That's not very good English. I don't agree with the changes that Deschamps made. I just I. I have less issue in in principle with the with the team that he picked, but uh, yeah, I don't think he did enough to to change things since it wasn't entirely working. Well, mm. even then, I say not yeah. working. Well, I mean, Portugal has are changed. a good team, and the fact is, both defenses were very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Something has changed since the last international break, right? Where we were playing with the three four one two. Now, in in these last two games, Deschamps has taken out one of those centre backs added a midfielder probably to try to achieve you know some of the goals that we're talking about but like like you guys I think you, you all made good points there you know about playing too flat about not having enough width with with those three midfielders um and yeah it, it was a little bit narrow the way they were kind of interacting also uh, someone mentioned Conte who was at times playing kind of like a in a slightly deep deep line playmaker role um you know kind of the bottom point of that small midfield triangle and and distributing a lot of passes which didn't work out that well for him i thought and i um i also agreed with your point about pogba jeremy that you made earlier that um actually some of our most dangerous situations on sunday came when pogba uh you know pushed forward and started playing right in front of the box uh, with, with some of the other guys 
I think um, in, in terms of what, what Eric said about the left-sided mm. midfield, I've read certainly after the Ukraine match a lot of talk about a, a lot of people thinking that Kamavinga could fit that, mm. either fit that Matuidi role or he could be on the right and it would allow Pogba to be on the left. And, and you know, the fact that Kamavinga is so versatile is is obviously a good thing, but it... it it gives Deschamps a lot more options or, you know, Camavinga can sort of fit into whatever formation Deschamps might choose to go with. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think some people are saying he could be in the team already by, by the summer. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's certainly a good point. Uh, so so defensively, uh, things looked quite good. I think, Jeremy, you mentioned uh, Presnel Kimpembe, uh, but, but some of the other guys too were impressive you know against Cristiano Ronaldo for example uh, who, who stayed quite quite pretty quiet yeah I want to call him a flat track bully but we have to play them twice <laughs> more in in the near future so I don't want to tempt fate yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah well, well regarding the other defenders that uh, that stood out uh, this this uh, during the game I think oh everybody mentioned uh, Luca Hernandez and I think mm. uh, for good reasons because he was um really what um what you expect from him he was he had all the aggressiveness that you that he that you need against uh, a player like ronaldo and obviously uh he blocked a great uh, a great um chance uh, from from ronaldo and he prevented uh the the portuguese from scoring but i think also Hernandez really I mean, he impersonates uh, Deschamps' uh, approach, and he's, uh, I mean, in the system that we've mentioned, the system uh, that Deschamps played with um, against Portugal, that's funny because in a, in a system with, uh, like, five defenders, maybe you would expect uh, the defenders playing on the wings to be going forward most of the time, and and Hernandez was like playing on the left, but he really stood out with his defending. And so, I think, I mean, he was useful for France, but also maybe he could have gone more. Um, he could have been more um, going more forward um, most of the time. So I think, mm. yeah, Hernandez deserves a lot of credit and. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, from in the opposition, uh, uh, Adrien, I don't know if you noticed Danilo Pereira and the way he played. Obviously, he is uh, newly a PSG player, having been, I think, a deadline day signing uh, for them. Did you, you know, notice anything about the way he played, um, the way he might fit into PSG? Um, well, what what really struck me, uh, I mean, that's. That sounds stupid, but I mean, was the his, I mean, was this his physicality and, a, and his height because uh, PSG don't really they don't um, PSG they don't really have um, tall midfielders and 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 he's really pretty he's really tall and he has this uh, this you know this um, this stature on on the pitch he he can get balls in the air and he can he's a real fighter and i think that what that's what PSG really needs uh, um, a really tall midfielder to have more physical impact uh, i think on 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 the pitch 
I have to confess that I only realized like 55 minutes into the match that that he was the new PSG player. Um, I've always had a problem with with uh, with Portuguese names because there's a lot of similar first names and last names that are put into different combinations and it gets me confused on who's who, um, especially with players that I'm not very familiar with, such as Danilo Pereira. <laughs> um, okay, guys. Uh, so four days before that, uh, also at the Stade de France, we were playing Ukraine and uh, that was friendly. I think normally we expect friendlies to be a little boring and then the competitive matches to be a bit more exciting. Completely not true for this week. Uh, this one was loads of fun, in part uh, because uh, Ukraine were missing 14 players from, from their usual squad through either injury or, or covid uh, reasons, so that's obviously uh, hampered their capacities. But France also came out with a mostly uh, B squad, uh, B lineup, um, and I guess Jeremy, it's a this is a it's a you know one of France's strengths that even our B team is quite good. Yeah, I mean it it is difficult to to know how much to read into it because Ukraine was so decimated, but. It's the old cliche that you can only kind of beat what's in front of you. And also it's important um, for first team squad members to to know that there's people breathing down their necks. So to mm. to come away with, with seven goals in any international match, I think, is is impressive. Um there are obviously some some nice little kind of historical moments in there as well with um, Giroud's 100th cap and becoming second top scorer and Griezmann becoming I think fifth top scorer or going ahead of Zidane and obviously Kamavinga with with um, uh, with the first goal and, and becoming the, the second youngest I think France scorer. Um, so That's right the uh, the youngest ever France scorer was in 1914 Maurice Gastiger against Switzerland in a 2-2 draw. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think um, we mentioned him earlier. I think Tolisso um, played well. I think he, you know, just talking about Hernandez having a good game, the two of them have, have struggled for, for maybe slightly different reasons to to, to get into the, the Bayern first team over the last season. But I think it's, it's really good for them, both from a just general confidence and France point of view, but also maybe, you know, I'm sure Hans, Hans Flick is, is that his name? Flick is, is what, um, you know, also watching how, how they're doing. And so it does, you know, it doesn't do their, their chances of getting closer to the Bayern first team any, any, any harm either. So, yeah, I think, it, I think it was a good workout. It does feel like it was a bit of a waste, not a waste of time, but, for, you know, I'm sure it's probably all based on money, but I, it, three three international matches at this stage of this kind of concertinaed season after the way last season finished does all seem a bit unnecessary. But if the if it's going to have to be played anyway, then um, scoring seven goals is a pretty nice way to do it. Yeah, I think no regrets on, on that one, um, Eric. Uh, uh, you wrote a piece for GFFN about Hussein Awar over the weekend. He got his first uh, start, his first appearance, actually, uh, for the national team against Ukraine, playing, I think, somewhat in the Griezmann role. I mean, they, they're different players, so they did 
do it the same way, but you know, the same position basically. Um, what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I, I think he was probably solid, if not unspectacular. I, I think that his instincts in that role, um, I don't think he, again, I've said this before, you know, on here in writing, I don't think he quite has the imagination to be an ideal number 10, but I do, I do like that he, you know, has a good shot on him. He, he can score goals from distance. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, nah, again, it's hard, it's hard to say because he hasn't really been played in that role, uh, for Leon or, or for the under 21s necessarily playing mm -hmm. as a proper number 10 either. I mean, uh, the under 21s under uh, repole usually tend to use a four, three, three, um, an hour would be played on the left of that. Um, so I think that there is, you know, scope potential for growth here, but I think that, you know, if we're looking at, if we're looking at him as being a potential option for that role, I don't think so. I, I think that he, yeah, it was, it was a fine debut and I think that he's can continue to burnish his reputation and, um, you know, to have a chance to, you know, do that outside of a Leon side that has been, you know, pretty dysfunctional to start this season. Um, I think is is really a positive to give him a bit of confidence that he can, you know, after after playing a decent match against Marseille, uh, to to come into the national team, perform r relatively well against, you know, as Jeremy rightly mentions, very weakened opposition. Uh, but yeah, to grow from that and to get some of his confidence back, because I think the last, you know, nine months a year for our have been very challenging. He's he was not the player um, for much of 1920 that we saw uh, when he was breaking through alongside uh, Ndombele uh, or even in 1819. So I think to to get him back on the right track, as it were, and that's something I mentioned in the article as well, uh, is is going to be really important. Now I, I had looked at him getting back on the right track in the context of a move, um, but I mean there's something to say he can't do that at Leon either. Um, not necessarily holding my breath given the tactical choices that Rudy Garcia seems to have been making but again yeah solid enough uh for our starting his his senior career with France I thought he did add well it wasn't just him the others um the other midfielders helped too but you know there was more uh passing between the lines and and uh you know the that what that which was lacking against Portugal that kind of connection between midfield and strikers um was a bit more fluid against Ukraine um obviously is exemplified through the through the goal tally um yeah i just wanted to add to that too i mean i think playing that midfield again i know it's ukraine i know they they have issues with covid and the shakhtar squad but i think the roles are more defined if you look at that midfield three mm -hmm. whereas we were talking about you know yesterday mm -hmm. uh, yesterday's match you know you'd have uh conte peeling wide or get getting forward and then pogba dropping and they were they were deep and in that three there is no question that Nzansi is going to sit, and there is no question that Talisa is going to play more of a box-to-box -box role, and that Kimavinga is going to be the most advanced of those three. So I think that, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that the midfield three who started yesterday can't play that role, but for whatever reason, there there was a greater clarity in terms of the role of each of those three midfielders last last Wednesday, and there was in the three that played yesterday. So I think that. You know, if Deschamps has more specific instructions that he can give this, you know, ideal eleven as we as we were saying at the top of the show, that's going to make the difference as well. And if I may, I mean, uh, you were talking, Eric, about uh, clarity and and positioning, but for example, Rabiot uh, against um, against Portugal, um, 
of course he had a, compl a complicated uh, first half and a better second half but on overall i think uh, he was clearly it, it, it was difficult to to really um find out which role he had because i mean for example i remember him at psg um uh, refusing to play as a as we call a number six uh, just be just in front of the defense and and against portugal he it wasn't really clear which role he had i mean he 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 got a lot of uh, he he defended well in the second in the second half and he made some some interesting passes but i mean personally i found very difficult to identify uh, clearly uh, what was his uh, his role on the pitch and uh, i mean for example he was always um, controlling the ball and he would always have his his back he, i mean he would always uh, play the ball on the width on the on on the, on the wings and never really in playing up front so uh, yeah that was kind of strange from from Deschamps because I, I don't really understand which position he had uh, in this game uh the third game uh for this uh, international break is against Croatia who we've played last month uh this is still Nations League of course um we're four points ahead of them and we're tied on 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 points with Portugal just uh for everybody's information and uh this time we'll be playing in Croatia um <laughs> Adrian do you think uh do you think they hate us now do, do you think sorry can you do you think I'm they sorry. hate us after beating them 4-2 twice oh. in a row oh including the final <laughs> well, of course well hey I, I I don't know I mean obviously uh it must be it must be special for a, a guy from Croatia to play to to to, to watch a game against France right now because obviously even even the last the last time we we faced them uh, we won 4-2 uh, again so it must be complicated but i think um the only good thing for france is that it's going to be a a game without um without atmosphere without people in the stadium uh so mm. it, it won't be that difficult i mean Obviously, it would be it would be difficult because it's not in France. But I mean, I think if if people weren't were in the stadium for 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 the game, I think it could have been really complicated for them. And I, I don't think they hate France, but obviously it it must be strange for them. Uh, mm. They must have strange feelings. Uh, personally, I love this Croatian team, and I and I have done so for a while. <laughs> so. I'm sorry for the harm we've done, but last time, last month, they came out, um, you know, quite motivated. You know, it looked like they really wanted revenge, and they didn't get it. So this time at home, even without a crowd, um, hopefully it'll be an exciting game. Um, Eric, as uh, using your uh, observer hat here of of, of Didier Deschamps habits, are we? Ex would you expect a similar lineup to the Portugal game? Uh, you know, a, a strong lineup, quote unquote, with you know presumed starters, or maybe a little bit more mixed up. 
I would look for at least uh, Marshall and Kamavenga to, to be included from the off. I was really surprised. Again, we talked about this earlier briefly, but to only use two changes in a game where it's defensively, it's a very defensive and tight match, you know, roll the dice on Ben Yedder. I mean, his, well, actually, his link- can I jump in there on that point? Yeah. Because um, that was something I, I meant to bring up, but I forgot. Um, I think last week we had this talk about, uh, you know, what is the Nations League gonna gonna be for? Is it for trying out players? Is it something he wants to win? And I think what we learned this week is actually that um, if you compare the way he he used the substitutes against Ukraine and against Portugal, against Ukraine there's a lot earlier ones uh, at halftime and so on, giving players time and and chances to you know play on the team, and then against Portugal it was much more like we. What we often see from Deschamps in competitive matches, whether those are qualifiers, whether those are, you know, sometimes uh, uh, knockout matches at a, at a comp- big competition where there's few subs and it's a bit late. I mean, if you think about the World Cup, right, the, the subs barely played, you know, substitutions that came on during the match didn't play a big part in the way France played. And to me, that's an indicator that he's approaching this match like you know, he does competition and that, you know, we're here to win it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but, it, but I mean, again, you know, I think if we're using this as a quote-unquote sandbox from Deschamps' perspective, you know, why not give give some more time? I think that, you know, I, I know it's a small sample size, but I think that Ben Yedder, I think, is a player who, in terms of being a late-game catalyst, um, I think can really make a difference. You know, he's a fantastic finisher. He's very good at at, at drawing opponents and stretching space, um, you know, and I think that the interplay he had with Mbappe as well for that goal last or against Ukraine was really, really superb. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know you saw Fernando Santos making changes, you know, as early as his 60th minute. You know why? You know why is why is Deschamps so reticent to do that, especially given how poorly uh, the attack was playing by and large. I think Ben Yedder specifically is a little bit deserved by the Giroud situation because uh, I, I think that because Giroud isn't really playing much for Chelsea, Deschamps is playing him more um, for France so that he, you know, ha- continues getting game time, continues, you know, stays in shape. And he can't, you know, play Giroud 90 minutes for every match because that wouldn't be fair to Ben Yedder. Um, but even so, I'd, uh, you know... I think in a different context, with you having more game time, um, Ben Yedder might have more of a chance than he does right now, which is bad luck for him, I guess. Um, um, if uh, if I may, I mean, uh, I mean, in in France, what 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 came out of of, of the um, the game against Portugal that was that you know the French pundits were fed up with. Uh, Deschamps' approach of the game and the way he he managed uh, this game, and I think, I mean, uh, I mean, Deschamps is like you know he's he's like the Titanic's captain. I mean, he will die with his ideas, and and that's a shame for I agree for for players like Benyeda who are having great uh, great seasons and who are. Uh, you know, who are chosen by Deschamps to play for the national team, but who are barely, barely playing. And, and uh, it's like it's like Martial. I mean, he was he was great against Ukraine. So obviously it was Ukraine. But I mean, he could have 
he could have had a shot uh, in 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 the game against Portugal. And I mean, for example, I mean, it's sometimes it's very strange. The 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 Deschamps' behavior is very it's very strange in in all the all the competitive matches. Uh, I I don't have too much issue with it, and I think he gets a ridiculous amount of harsh press. Um, I think possibly if you're going to criticise him, maybe it's for a bit too much loyalty to, at the moment, arguably Giroud and Griezmann, but you can also say that they've absolutely earned the loyalty. But I just, I mean, I, I don't know what people want from him. He's tried to play, you know, with three sort of nippy, skillful attackers. It hasn't worked. They don't, for whatever reason, they don't have the sort of rigour or... Um, uh, I don't know, work ethic, whatever it is, of, of Giroud. Um, he's tried to, you know, or depending on which combination, most of them aren't interested enough in defending, certainly not like Giroud and Griezmann are, um, or doing their defensive bit. He, you know, he he's tried to play possession football, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe it goes back to the, the number 10 thing. I'm not sure that... France necessarily have exactly the right kind of profile of players for that. He can play defensively. You know, you need a good defence to win matches and certainly tournaments as well. And he he's done that very well. We, we forget yesterday, they, they were two very good defences that cancelled out to, on paper, extremely good attacks. I think defences should be given a, a bit of credit rather than just criticising um, certainly France's attack I, mean, I don't know what, what press Portugal are getting um, at home um, you know it, I, yes we all remember Brazil 82 and France 82 and Holland 74 and, and teams like that but actually I don't think there's many teams in the history of football that have club or national or international that have won that much playing beautiful football and I know it's a very very French thing Oh, particularly international though yeah sorry particularly international though yeah especially internationals and i know like you know it's the whole raymond poulidor um you know again france 82 romantic losers everyone sort of loves seville even more than you know france in 98 and and 2018 whatever but the fact is that deschamps and the players and most of the fans are in it to, to win tournaments and not only that but in 2018 france won the tournament by scoring Whatever it was, eleven goals in the in the knockout stages, scoring eight, uh, you know, four goals twice. They scored four goals the other day against against um, Croatia. Yes, they didn't play brilliantly in either of those Croatia matches, but he found a way to have that defensive rigor and attack excitingly. I, I don't know what what people want. I mean, it sounds like what people want is Spain in 2010. Great, they won the World Cup and they carry the reputation of Spain 2008 with them and more to the point Barcelona. But that Spain 2010 was insipid. It was horrible to watch. And they just... I don't know. I, last night I was getting really annoyed. You know, RMC called the... Um, Ronaldo's shot that was blocked by Hernandez. They said nothing to report from the first half apart from that beautiful shot by Ronaldo. It wasn't a shot. 
But just because it was Ronaldo, we have to say it was a beautiful shot. Because Rabiot has got a controversial background, we have to you know, automatically criticise him a little bit more than the other midfielders when, frankly, he was having a better game than Conte. There's so many sort of, um, I think, kind of, I can't think of the phrase, but you sort of, you already have your opinions ready made, whether it's because of social media or chips on shoulders or because you like, you know, I do it as well because I like a particular player or a coach or even a particular pundit. Um, and I, I just, I think it frustrates me that I, I don't think France are anywhere near as bad as um, all the pundits are so quick to make out. And also, frankly, if they were that bad last night, for example, Conte's back from an injury. It was Pogba's first France start for 16 months. We know the issues Griezmann's having. Giroud hasn't played much. No one's played that much recently. Um, everything is kind of out of, of kilter at the moment. And sometimes, even if everyone's at the best of their form, they can also have an off day. I just... Uh, I just think everyone is too... Yes, France are the world champions. Maybe they have more responsibility than any other team in the world to do that little bit more. But I just think some of the criticism at times is, is crazy. I, I agree with you pretty much fully, Jeremy. And I think um, that the thing that kind of, uh, uh, you know, confuses us, confuses people is that, well, fundamentally... Deschamps' job is to do well in summer competitions. And in the meantime, he has to qualify and prepare for those. But, but fundamentally, those are two very different types of events. The, the, you know, the year-long international breaks and the actual tournament itself. You know, obviously, team, international teams don't play as well as club teams because a club team is a full-time uh, job, whereas international teams are occasional. And then at one point every two years... You have that whole month together, uh, you know, everybody's living together for a month, no wives, no families, no friends. And that's uh, quite challenging in a different way. It's more full time than, than a club is. Right. And so Deschamps is really good, I think, at handling that 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 month. And that's what his job is. And in the meantime, I don't think our expectations well, our as in the general public, you know, I don't think our expectations are quite um um, I don't think they recognize that there's such a difference between those two types of, of time periods. And, you know, we have kind of high expectations for these international breaks. But really, you know, not only do most international teams not play, you know, amazingly beautiful football, you know, not like, you know, Barcelona or whatever, but uh, everybody's international breaks are boring. Every country in the world you know, says, oh boy, I miss club football, whatever. Um, so I think sometimes we forget that. Um, and, and I also, the last point I wanted to make on this topic is that, yeah, as fans, the moments that we most enjoy following the national team are those moments of, of togetherness, right? Where, you know, everybody's cheering for the same guys, for the same team. Whereas, um, well, you know, basically the French national team has a lot more fans than any single French club does and and you know in the summer when there's big tournaments back-to-back -back matches and so on with with you know high stakes and and a lot of people watching we really enjoy those collective moments even though maybe the quality of football isn't that much better um but you know the suspense is at least and the and the togetherness is 
and you know possibly because there's less of the less of that at the moment in the kind of autumn uh, friendly matches and and qualifiers and whatever um i think that's also why there's you know people are disappointed and but yeah pretty much just adapt your expectations to to the you know the moment and and enjoy what there is to enjoy um even when the football is boring i know most of us at gfn really enjoyed the Giroud uh, uh getting his goals and becoming top second top scorer so you know we have that to go by um but yeah <laughs> that's just, that's my two two cents um, before we close up the shop tonight, uh, Jeremy, let me turn back to you um, so you can give us a little update on the U21s. I think uh, they're still playing right now, and they also had a match a few days ago, correct? Uh, yeah. So the match at the moment, it's it's half time at the moment. It's 1-0 to France. Kunde with the goal. I think it was relatively even before the goal, but France have completely dominated since then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the midfield, I've, I've rarely seen it. I mean, it's it's as much them as as poor play from Slovakia, but I've, I've rarely team, seen a team intercept the ball so often and, and win the ball back from the opposition. Um, Ikone's had a couple of fantastic runs. They should be more than a goal up, really. But the only the only blot is that Masson, who's making his, his debut for the under twenty ones, got quite a bad injury near the end. Ooh, okay. um, I thought he dislocated his shoulder, so I was looking at completely the wrong thing. But I think it's actually his knee that turned. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with me, but he was stretched off. It didn't look great. Um, yeah, and the other day I think it was a pretty straightforward five nil win <clears throat> over Liechtenstein. I think Guiri got. Two goals and two assists. Um, Ikone maybe one goal and two assists, something like that. So, yeah, I think that was that was pretty straightforward. But obviously, the bigger tests are Slovakia, which so far they're passing, and then uh, Switzerland, which looks like the that's going to be the sort of decider for the top of the table. It is half time over there as we finish recording here. So um, we'll leave it up to you, the listeners, to, to check out the final score if uh, that's what you're into. Um, and that's all from us today. Uh, but uh, before I, we leave you, um, just so you know, the issue three of uh, the Modern Footballer is available for pre-order. Obviously, the Modern Footballer, as you will remember, is is our magazine that we produce uh, together with you know all our uh, all the other organizations in the Get Football group. Um, so it's about European football, and uh, you can pre-order that at getfootballnewsfrance.com forward slash magazine. It'll be out on October 19th. Thank you, Eric, for coming on. Cheers. And thanks, Jeremy. Thanks very much. And thank you, Adrien. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, Preview Show will be back this week. They will talk about uh, France-Croatia, which is happening on Wednesday. And we'll be back in a week's time after the next weekend of Ligue 1. In the meantime, thanks for listening, as always.